and also leasing leasing the bonus office out upstairs separately was we were able to really maximize the you know we've got the best listeners on the planet and i love it whenever i have an opportunity to connect in person with listeners of the show two awesome events that are coming up both are in denver and flights to denver are cheap from anywhere Check out the show notes right now for the Finding Deal Summit and Rod Cleaves Boot Camp because this week we actually have a 25% off discount code to both. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam A. Adams, and today we have Larry Ambrowitz on the Creative Real Estate Podcast. We're excited to have him. He's actually originally from Costa Rica and he moved to the US for university in 1990. And a few quick things is he started doing multi, he started doing real estate back in uh, 2014. And by doing a bunch of uh, creative real estate deals for closures in Miami, Florida. And really what I'm excited to go over today is that he's done over $30 million of transactions in the US, Colombia, Costa Rica, and Spain. And even better than that, he recently did his first apartment syndication deal on his own, and he raised $4.5 million on that first deal. So we are going to get a lot of information out of this interview. So Larry, how are you today? Great. Good. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. You've been starting to make the uh, rounds on podcasts. People have found you and they know what you um, have been doing is incredible. And I'm very grateful to have you on our podcast. I We originally met at, I think it was my Raising Money Summit last year um, in Denver. Is that right? Yes, correct. And then awesome. we met again in Miami. Yes. Uh, yeah, you came to my town and then I came to your town. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, we, so the, in Miami, it was the, um, what was it? The family office club? The family office event, correct. Yeah, yeah. With Richard Wilson, a lot of great people there. Um, what, what, what did you think about the family office club when you were there? Was that your first, first time attending? Second time. I was there okay. the prior year, but I didn't have experience in syndication or multifamily so i think this was a much better uh, year for me at the event made a lot of good contacts um met a lot of uh, investors syndicators uh so it was a very good event a lot of people a lot of good information i i agree with that i was going to say a lot of people when they go to the family office club um the summit they sometimes feel like overwhelmed they sometimes say like this is just out of my league you didn't feel that at all not this year, the first year, yes. Just okay. because uh, I guess it makes a difference. Once you have a syndication deal under you, you have a, you feel more comfortable you know, talking to people. Absolutely. I like that a lot. So, uh, Larry, you moved to the U.S. in 1990, and you were going to school in Boston? Yeah, I went undergrad in Boston, manufacturing engineering at Boston University. Okay. Then I... Um, Went to work for General Electric and Appliances in Bloomington, Indiana, making refrigerators. Then I went to their aircraft engine facility in Lynn, Massachusetts, making aircraft engines. Uh, 
Then I uh, went to get my MBA in uh, Wharton at the University of Pennsylvania. And actually, I met my wife right before the MBA, and she's from Colombia. So we moved to Colombia right after my MBA. Worked there uh, manufacturing uh, uh, recycled paper to make corrugated boxes, and I was doing that for about three years. And then we decided to move to Miami uh, in around 2000 and started a flower importing business and distribu distributing in flowers to wholesalers and supermarkets, which uh, I'm still, I still have that company. I still run that business and got into real estate around 2014. Yeah. And one quick question, you know what? I want to really cover two things today. And uh, hopefully that's not too much for the listener um, because one thing is you've been successful at um, buying houses on foreclosure auction. And frankly, that's just not something that too many people do. And, um, and it's, a, it's a tough business. So I, I'd like to just go in a few of the ins and outs of being able to successfully buy on auction. And the other thing that I really want to talk about is really just how you were able to get into a syndication on your own, raising four and a half million dollars, kind of share some of the tics, tips and tricks with um, me and a lot of the listeners who um, are dumbfounded with, you know, that big of a raise on, on your very first deal. So we will start since, since it kind of goes with your journey and it was um, 2014 when you were starting with the foreclosure auctions. Let's, let's go ahead and just talk about what did you learn over time and did you ever have any um, like issues that you ran into by buying uh, on foreclosure and what did you learn from it? Yeah, I mean, I, 2014, I wanted to, to really increase my, my income. That was the motivation to get into real estate and um, started looking at, at buying a house as an investment near near where I lived, and actually this was my wife that she was also, um, I guess she also wanted to get into the into the real estate business and liked it as a side business. So we started looking at houses, um, and I really didn't want to pay list price. So I started doing a little more research, and through a friend that was buying foreclosures, he taught me how to look in the in the court and the online and the auction website for Miami Dade. And I started exploring. Um, at that time, there was a lot more inventory and, and a lot more deals that were being closed. So I, you know, I started learning how to research, uh, how to find the properties, how to research, do lean searches to make sure I wasn't getting in. You know, once you when you're buying a foreclosure, the main thing is that you buy all the liens, all the headaches, anything that's due, property taxes. Um, you know, all the headaches that the property has, you don't have a chance to, to clean up or review before you purchase. So it's at your own risk. So you really have to do a, a very good due diligence uh, before you go into to bid for the property. And once you win it, I mean, you, you have to pay cash within 24 hours. So, um, you know, it's, it's a very, usually a very quick process. You have to do your due diligence prior and you really can't get into the house or um, know what you're buying or what's inside until you actually purchase it. And uh, if there's a tenant or a, a person living there, you also have to do the, the eviction and that's a, a separate process. So um, uh, the first house, I actually did not get it on, 
on the court. It was actually uh, through auction.com. At that time, they also used to do, um, and I had another name before auction.com. It was home something. I forget the name right now, but they used to do also auctions like that where you bought, it, bought the house with all the problems, the same as in the court. Um, I bought a house, um, had to do the eviction. I had to go through the whole process, um, evict the, the prior owner. And I took over the house and, you know, it was in pretty, it was in pretty bad shape inside. So really it was a full gutter renovation. Um, but I had that in my estimate. So I, I estimated I had to do everything brand new. I, I redid the house and, and made a pretty good profit on that house. I mean, it was, um, it took me about a year to remodel and sell it. Um, that was the first deal on the, at the, at the, in between that house, I bought another one in the same neighborhood. And did the same thing, you know. Bought it from the that was a bought it from the bank, um, and I just kept on buying foreclosures. After that one, I bought a the you know the the best deal was a a retail that I bought in um in Doral, which is in near the airport of Miami. It was a hot area. I, my office was there, so I knew the area very well. And I I bought this restaurant that was foreclosed, and it was close. You know, it's been closed for a couple of years. Um, and I bought that with my brother and we basically retenanted the place and sold it for about four times what we paid for in, um, two years later. So, I mean, on the foreclosures, I was doing very well with that. I mean, um, last, the last deal was a lot that we bought in a, in a very high end neighborhood and also sold it for almost double the price about a year and a half later. Um, but again, you're buying it with all the headaches. If they have tenants, if they have liens, if there's uh, you know, any anything that, that comes with that property, if anybody has a right to it, they can claim it. So, I mean, you really have to do your homework very well. Yeah, so I agree with you. I was doing tax deductions um, in 2005 and then again mm -hmm. in 2015 and 16. Um, and I actually took an education to learn how to do the lien search and I still thought it was pretty difficult. How did you really learn how to do your own lien searches uh, like a title company would? I basically have a, a good attorney that I, every time I have a, one of these deals that I want to buy and I'm serious about it after I go and visit the property, I mean, I pretty much see how much they own. I already learned how to, how to read a lot of the legal jargon. I mean, they have all the the final judgment documents are on the, on the court website. So you can look at all that stuff. It's public. And after I read it and see what the, how much you own in property taxes and, and try, I can do lien searches already in the city. I learned how to do that also online. So there's a lot of information online you can do. And once I look at the big picture, if I see that there isn't anything big out there and the numbers make sense, then I, I ask my attorney to do a title search. And on the last deal I did, I even, because it was a large number, I mean, buying a, like a $1.1 million uh, lot, I mean, I wanted to make sure it was really clean and uh, we got a title insurance prior to bidding on the property. So we knew that if we had any issues, at least we had title for the amount we were willing to pay. One thing that I was going to ask you is about code violations, because when I've purchased properties on foreclosure, it seems like most all of these properties are going to have some type of maybe they didn't mow the lawn enough because they're vacant. Nobody lives there and people aren't taking care of it. And those code violations can really add up. So 
for you when you're looking at a property that you're going to buy on foreclosure, how do you look at the code violation as a concern or not a concern? It is. I usually go to the city. I forgot to mention that. I go to the to the city where the property's at and you can ask for a code violation report. Some cities are very easy. They just print it right there and give it to you. Some you have to special order and you know you have to pay depending on the city, fifty to a hundred dollars and you get one. What's been a little frustrating, I mean, is that lately you spend all this money and research and time and most of these deals are not making it to foreclosure anymore. They get canceled prior to to the auction day just because it's um you know they either do a deal with the bank they find a buyer and that's because the market's been so hot that usually these properties um can get a lot more money in the market than what they owe to the bank i mean it's just that some of the owners for some reason like to hold to the last minute and they've been able to you know it's crazy how they can you know have a mortgage and live for free for you know three four five years and you know while they're going through this foreclosure process so um I mean, some people know how to play the game and, and, you know, eventually they either lose a house or they negotiate something. And that's kind of where you have to, you know, if you like, if I, some properties I follow for even a year, you know, and they get canceled and I keep on looking up in the court until, you know, eventually they make it to, to foreclosure and sometimes they don't, but um, that's part of the game. I mean, when you hit one, they usually, they're very good returns if you buy at the right price. Have you ever thought to contact the owner before it went on auction? I've tried in a few with no success. They're usually very aggressive. If you knock on the door, um, I guess I'm not the only one doing it. So there's a lot of people that, you know, they, my experience has been that they're pretty aggressive when, when they answer the door. They don't even want to talk to you because, of course, they're losing their house. I've had instances where it's somebody leasing. A lot of the times they're, they're rented. so. They don't know anything about it. They just know the house is being foreclosed and they're getting notices, but they don't, you know, they don't know what's going on. So, um, yeah, I've tried it, uh, but I haven't been successful doing that. Um, but doesn't mean it doesn't work. I mean, sometimes you, you might be able to negotiate something with the, with the owner and then you might have to negotiate with the owner and the bank to do a, either a short sale if, the, if they own more to the bank than what the house is worth. And, or, you know, you might be able to get a deal. I mean, it's, that, that, that's, all, that's also possible, but I haven't been successful doing that. Yeah. Uh, one other question, the last question that I have about the, for your experiences in foreclosure auctions, uh, before we talk really about the syndication that you just did, is one thing that I have noticed when going to the foreclosure auctions, when I have 15 grand, or 20 grand or 30 or 45,000. I think the most I ever brought to an auction was 60,000. One thing I noticed was in that space there was a ton of uh there was a ton of people bidding. And uh one thing that that did was created it so we're actually when people would close on these auctions and it would be in Broward County right just north of you um some oftentimes they went for 112% of what I could have got it if I just went to the MLS. So how have you um, done something different to make sure that um, you're not having this amount of competition and wasting the time like I did? I looked at a hundred properties every single week in Broward County and 
and almost never got a property. I agree. Usually, especially lately, you can get them cheaper on on the market, you know, where you can do an inspection and, and get a title insurance and do everything by the regular mechanism. And that's why I, I kind of stepped away from auctions. What worked for me in the, you know, in the last deal I bought an auction was that I, I was sticking to higher ticket, you know, higher priced items or properties that, you know, not everybody has a million dollars that they can just wire the next day to, to, you know, to buy an auction. So I basically had part of my money and then, um, you know, I usually do, you know, a lot of these with my brother. And if we need to, we bring in on on one of the deals we did, we brought in, you know, a third, a third person, an investor. And that was pretty much my first syndication. I mean, if, if you want to call it a syndication, but, yeah, the first time that we brought a third person in just because we needed the cash to close and yeah. that worked out pretty well but in, you know that was a 1.2 million dollar purchase where you need to wire the money you know within um 24 hours so you, you almost have to have people ready to i mean the way i see it is i know the neighborhood here very well so if i i know when there's a deal and it, if it makes sense and I mean, the last deal I was looking at was an open bay house that, you know, was probably worth three and a half million and the bank was willing to sell it for 800,000. Um, but the, they had about a quarter of a million dollars in, in violations that you mentioned, you know, liens and violations that had to be paid or negotiated, but, um, uh, it was still a very good, good buy at that price. And I don't, I mean, usually at those levels, you don't have a lot of competition. I mean, maybe. What I've seen in the deals, I, I try to bid. There's usually a couple more people bidding against me on, you know, that that are looking for those type of deals. Uh, this property got canceled four times. The last time they, these guys declared uh, bankruptcy, the owner. So right now it's it's not even there anymore. I mean, it's just um, will probably appear in a few months. But that's mm-hmm. the the kind of things I've been looking for, just to avoid, you know, the lower end where you have a lot of people that can bid on these things. Yeah, when, as far as um, the um, code violations, kind of getting back to like windows being broken or um, nobody mowing the lawn, one thing that happened with a few of the properties that I brought in Broward County, Palm Beach County, and St. Lucie County um, is almost every time I could just let the county know or the city know the city violations and the code violations are similar things, but I could just let the city know hey, I just took over this property and I noticed that it has like um, 100,000. A lot of them have over 100,000 in code violations. But generally in those counties, and I don't suggest everybody who listens to this just expect that this will happen everywhere. But because I knew the, I knew the county uh, representatives really well, the magistrate and all that, um, I could just, I knew that if I bought it with code violations, I could call them up and, and say, I just took over this property. Um, can I, can I, if I get this mode, uh, next week, can we negotiate a, th- a price? And almost all the time they, w- they, it would go down to, if I would board up the window or if I would mow the lawn within a week, they would, it would, it would go down to like 1%, uh, if it was like a hundred thousand dollars or $300,000. So, um, now I want to talk about you recently started really getting into more of the commercial stuff. I know that a while back you did that restaurant that you were kind of repositioned the restaurant and sold it for four times what you paid for it. 
Um, but when did you start getting into a multifamily? Multifamily, I would say the beginning of last year, I started, um, you know, I, I decided because right before that, we uh, also bought a warehouse in foreclosure, then the auction also in, in the court. And uh, after leasing the restaurant and leasing the warehouse, I really liked the income you were getting, I was getting from, you know, it was, it was almost passive income in a lot of these deals because once it was a lot of work to fix all the issues with these properties and clean them up and, and get them leased. So once I had them leased, it was really a breeze. I mean, I was just collecting checks every month versus the houses where they, you know, leasing all these different properties and some of the houses that I kept in the apartments that I bought in foreclosure also, I mean, there were individual units, so it was very hard to manage. So I, I really started getting involved with commercial, um, with the restaurant and the warehouse and studying the different markets. I, I really started looking at industrial first. I really liked industrial. I was in Doral, which is a huge industrial area, which has done very well. But when I started looking at purchasing deals and, and one thing I didn't like was it was only a single tenant, most of these bigger warehouses. Uh, so if you lose a tenant, you still have to pay your mortgage and taxes and et cetera. So you're, you're, you're basically, um, you know, you could lose a property if you lose a tenant for a while because, I mean, these, these uh, warehouses can take a while to, to get the right tenant in place. Um, so even though I loved industrial and I know it was very easy to maintain because you really, it's just a box. I mean, unless the roof is bad, usually you don't get a phone call from your tenant. Um, I really couldn't find a deal, um, you know, that made sense. The lending was recourse, very low, loan-to-value. I mean, on most of the warehouses, you have to get a recourse loan, 60% loan to value. So you needed more cash, you know, to close, you know, to close the deals. So I, you know, the cash on cash was uh, a lot lower than in, in for, for this specific market. So I started, um, I, I started analyzing different, you know, all the different sectors. Retail was not doing too hot uh, with all the Amazon effect. Um, so decided to explore multifamily it was influenced by a good friend of mine that has really helped me a lot, mentored me a lot in the, in the multifamily sector and got me involved in it. And after I studied it, I, I really liked to, you know, the, how you diversified with, um, with, with multiple tenants, uh, you get a, a very good lending, you know, non-recourse, uh, higher loan to value. And, you know, if you could do, if, you know, doing the value add play, I mean, which is what I've been, what I started doing is, and I have experience because everything I bought, I had to remodel. Um, you know, if you can add value to these properties, you can really get a very nice cash on cash return. And I didn't have to deal with the day to day to manage them, which is a big, a big deal for me after running all these different apartments and houses on my own. All right. So I really want to talk about your Daytona beach deal. It was 108 mm -hmm. units, and I think you raised around four and a half million dollars by yourself? Correct. All yes. right, so, so give us some more details on that. Um, and when giving us the deals, details, share it in a way to teach us how to do the same thing you did. Okay, I was uh, looking about six months for, uh, once I decided to go into multifamily, I started researching you know, markets and, and underwriting a lot of deals, which I think it's important to really understand the business so I, I just started talking to brokers getting a lot of uh, a lot of deals through my email just to analyze um, 
created my my own underwriting spreadsheet um, just by reading. You know, I was reading a lot of books, listening to a lot of podcasts, and just just learning all the time and studying before I even move on to the first deal. Um, when I was moving closer to making bids on some of these deals, I started talking to property managers, and that's where I I really started going in deeper into the underwriting. Um, and really talking to property managers was a good source. I, I found one property manager while looking at a deal in Gainesville, Florida, and asked him to underwrite it. They could run it. And they also said that sometimes they get um, listings from owners that they know from their years in the industry. So um, a few months later, um, they called me and they said they had, they had two deals for me to look at. One was in Largo, Florida. One was in Daytona Beach. I... And I had to make a decision in like two days of, of what deal I wanted to pick. So I drove, took the car. I drove about, I don't know, that in two days. I think I was in my car for at least 16 hours just driving through Florida, looking at these deals, looking at the the market or where each deals were, were at. And um, picked Daytona just so I liked the market better. I liked the, the, the location, just the area, the employment growth, job growth. I mean, the population growth. The property was a very nice property with a lake in the middle, so I, I, I really liked uh, the the potential also to renovate the the property inside and out. Um, so decided to move forward with that deal. I okay. So, was it difficult? Well, okay. How did you prep your investors? I mean, did you get this under contract and then go and find investors, or were you prepping investors before you got something under contract? I really didn't prep a lot of investors. Um, I mean, I knew I was going to put in about 10% of the deal of the money and then the rest. Um, I had talked to a few friends and family to see if they were interested, but I really didn't, you know, didn't do anything like serious or deep before I, I had a deal in my hand. So I just, um, I mean, a lot of my friends in, in my mastermind that I have here local, uh, they've been in real estate for a long time, and the number one thing they told me is, if you're going to buy multifamily, go over 100 units, go big. The bigger you go, the the easier it is to manage and to run. So I, that was one of my first criteria when I started looking for deals. I said I'm going to go over 100. At the same time, you got to be careful because it depends if you're going to be the only um, person signing the loan. You know, you, you need to make sure you have the net worth of of at least um you have to have i think it's 10 percent liquidity of liquid assets of the amount of the loan and you have to have a net worth of at least the amount of the loan so when you're signing these um you know these loans you have to make sure how big can you go when you're buying a property unless you're going to have a, a co-signer with you so i you know that was kind of my criteria on 100 units um that I could, that I could, you know, meet that the criteria for signing the loan, and and that's very important when you're looking at these things, unless you have um, somebody who's going to sign with you and help you um, uh, sign the loan, the non-recourse loan. Was it hard to raise the four and a half million? Yes, it was very hard, just because it was. Even though I had a lot of real estate experience, I never done a multifamily, never done a syndication. I I basically never. Uh, manage uh, other people's money. I mean, so I just, um, but at the same time, I said, if I have a good deal and I go for it, I should be able to raise the money. And that's what a lot of my 
my friends in the business said, if you have a good deal, you, you should be able to raise the money. I mean, it's not as easy as, as they painted it, but it worked. I mean, eventually I, I had to go through uh, all my contacts, everybody I met through school, through my work, friends, family, friends of friends. And, you know, eventually um, was able to raise um, all the funds just in time. I mean, for the closing. How many investors are in that deal? Passive investors, including you? About 18 people, 18 investors. Uh, so, so they're bigger, bigger amounts per person. Uh, the minimum was a hundred thousand, which was another um, tip. Uh, some of my 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 group gave me on the mastermind was that, you know, if you put a, a hundred thousand minimum, you know, people always ask to put in less than your minimum, or to make exceptions. So, I mean, somebody even said make it two hundred, and you know, if anybody asks, you can accept one hundred. I had a couple of people that came in at fifty k just because they they couldn't do the whole hundred, but I. Um, being my first deal, I was a little more flexible, but I think that it makes it easier to have less investors and, and, uh, and a higher minimum. What was the, if you think back on, because you said it was, you said it was difficult, you know, to raise the four and a half, you, you got it, you got it on time to close. Um, and you, but you didn't prep the investors a lot. Um, you kind of found the deal and then, and then went and did it. If you think to, that history of that deal, what was the one thing that probably made you most successful in being able to raise the four and a half million on time? Well, I think one, I had a really good presentation and the numbers um, made sense. I mean, I, I did very conservative underwriting and, and the numbers made very good sense. So just being prepared, knowing the market, knowing the comps, um, and being, you know, excited about the deal. I mean, I was, uh, although I was, I was nervous since it was my first uh, bigger deal this size in, in, in real estate. I mean, I also had done my homework, done my research. And when you talk to people, the criteria, and you're showing that you show that, you, you know, you know, you did your homework and you did your research and, and the deal looks good and you're putting your own money. I mean, that, that uh, says a lot about the deal. I like that. So my takeaways from what you said really are, and I think anyone can learn from this, is to be prepared, to know your market, and to be excited about the deal. I think that those three things are going to uh, translate a lot of nonverbal uh, communication to somebody. When they can see your excitement, even though you're not really talking about the market, gets rid of a lot of the fears that are in the back of the mind of a lot of investors, where if you're not talking about the market, they're going to be concerned about some, a, a few things. But if you understand the market really well and you can show them what you like about the market, it gets rid of a lot of those um, unanswered questions that people will have that um, I think that create a dissonance in their uh, hearts against being able to invest in that deal. So you are the leader. You're the, um, you're the expert. You were prepared with the right answers. You understood the market and you were excited about the deal. Uh, very, very important. All right, we're going to take a break and we're going to come right back to the final five. If you want to get in on your very first multifamily investment, my company, Blue Spruce, has passive opportunities for accredited investors. Oh, and before we get into the final five, I should let you know why you'd want to go to the Finding Deal Summit on April 4th 
fifth, and sixth. The top reasons are one, your network really is your net worth and the speakers and the attendees are top notch. And number two, I guarantee you learn some ninja strategies to finding deals in this market. If you grab your tickets this week, you can get 25% off. So be sure to go to the show notes and find that promo code. All right, the final five with you, Larry. I'm excited. What's the most creative deal you've ever done? I would say is the the restaurant deal that I that I mentioned. I mean, just buying that in foreclosure and and you know envision uh, you know leasing it to the right tenant. Uh, you know, picking the right tenant. It took us a while to to pick the right uh, restaurant to be in there and. And also leasing leasing the bonus office out upstairs separately was we were able to really maximize the the return for that. So that was I would say that was the most creative. How did you find the tenant? Listed it with a broker and and I interviewed every single tenant. I mean, we got a lot of uh, people that wanted to re- to lease it just because it was a, a restaurant. It already had a prior restaurant, so it had the permits to basically open up right away a, a restaurant while in, um, it took about a year to get the permits to open a restaurant in Doral. So that, that created a lot of demand. So we were able to be picky, but actually it was one of my favorite restaurants that I ate uh, most of the time when I was working in Doral and they wanted to lease it. And when these guys approached me, I knew, I already knew how they did in the other place and it was a success. So I, I, I was pretty quick to make a deal with them. That's awesome. Okay, what's a book you recommend to the listener? I love uh, Traction, Get a Grip on Your Business by Gina Wickman. I mean, I think that that's been a life-changing book for me as far as um, I've implemented that in my flower business. And it's a really, it, it helps you put the systems in place to, to really, you know, be hands-off on the day-to-day of the business and really... Um, align your people and work as a team and, and get everybody working together to grow the company. And I know you, you started with, um, you started with investing in real estate about five years ago, but if you could paint the picture of where you were five years ago, kind of share what was, what was your mindset like? What were your plans about, uh, five years ago from today? Um, Real estate, I, I basically wanted to start and learn the business five years ago. Um, I mean, I, I didn't know where I was going to be, so I just wanted to learn the business. And, and, and my goal was always to, um, to invest and have rental properties. Um, so I wanted to start on it, and that's, I started basically buying the foreclosures and keeping some of them to, to rent, the ones that make sense. Um, so that's that's where I where I was at that point. And um, well, we know where you are now. Today, you've done a bunch of real estate, thirty million dollars worth. You just closed on your first syndication, hundred and eight doors on that uh, one property. Uh, where will you be five years from today? What's your vision look like um, in five years? Well, we'll like to be managing um, or or you know over a thousand units. Um, I mean, I really have a shorter term goal for that, but um, yeah, definitely at least a thousand units under management. And how do you give back? Well, one, I love to talk to other entrepreneurs or people starting that, you know, that need help or, or advice. I mean, I'm, I'm always open to that. And, um, you know, I love to have conversations with people and help. I mean, I had some of my employees from the flower business that started their own businesses and been very successful. And 
and they always look at me as a mentor. And second, I give back to some charities, to different charities. Okay, excellent. And then uh, the last question that I have is you mentioned that you like to work with other entrepreneurs, new entrepreneurs that your flower shop employees have gone off and started their own businesses. So somebody who's listening wants to know how do they reach you? How do they find you? How do they have that conversation with you? So what's the best way to do that? Uh, you can reach me either by email, uh, Larry, L-A-R-R-Y, at broadviewcapcap.com. Broadviewcap.com. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you, Larry. I really appreciate you coming on the show. You added a lot of value. Um, we could have done we could have done four interviews with uh, <laughs> just the topics that we mentioned today. So I really appreciate it, and I hope to have you back on the show. Until next time, my friend, think outside the box. If you love the show and haven't gone to iTunes and left a five-star rating and review yet, what are you waiting for? Also, if you've been considering getting started in a multifamily, I'm in a mastermind with my friend Rod Cleef, and he's coming here to Denver on May 17th, 18th, and 19th. These boot camps are great because Rod covers everything about multifamily in three full days. It's also great for experienced multifamily investors because the panel discussions Rod does has top level investors from our mastermind group. You can go to rodsbootcamp.com and use promo code Adam Adams to get 25% off.